Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. This is your host, Mike Abadir. It is Thursday, January 27th, 2022. Can't believe we're already almost through the first month of the year. But what's really cool about this NFL season is because things got kind of pushed out a little bit because of that 18-week schedule due to the 17th game, we're still even a couple of weeks away from the Super Bowl, and we've got AFC and NFC Championship games. There's a lot to talk about today. A lot of news, both kind of um, on the field, off the field type stuff. And who better than, you know, let me tell you guys something. The the Saints beat writers and, and those that cover the Saints overall have to be the nicest, most professional group that are out there. So many of them have availed themselves to our show. And if you're a regular listener, you've probably, you know, heard uh, Nick Underhill or, or Kat Terrell or many of the others. But belonging, equally belonging in, and also Herbie Teope who, by the way, is the one that introduced me to uh, our next guest, our first guest of the show here. We're going to talk some Saints. We're going to talk some Sean Payton and whatever else comes up, maybe cats and dogs as well. Amy Just of the NOLA News. She can be found on ESPN Radio NOLA, NOLA being New Orleans for those who are listening around the country. And she does cover the New Orleans Saints. It does a terrific job doing so. She's a good Twitter follow if you want. Up to the minute news, Amy. What's going on? How are you? I'm good. Um, needless to say, my off season has definitely changed uh, since <laughs> this time last week. Uh, I was looking forward to having a relaxing time, you know, going to the Senior Bowl for a day, hanging out at the combine as per usual, and then, uh, yeah, now I've got to be at the Senior Bowl all week next week, uh, and uh, not as relaxing uh, as I thought it would be. But you know. There's a, it's always something with the Saints. It's always something. Uh, never a dull moment, as you know, uh, being a representative for one of them. So it is It's always something. But here always we go. Something. First coaching search this team has had in a long time. Yeah, it really is. You know, it's kind of funny because I mentioned it at the, at the intro there that I'd met you through Herbie a couple of years ago. And that was at the mm-hmm. uh, training camp um before what year? I guess 2019, 2018, when the uh, Saints 19. came out. Yeah, yeah, when the Saints came mm-hmm. out west to, uh, you know, ha- have a couple of days head to head with the, uh, I guess, was it San Diego? No, I guess it was LA Chargers at that time. Um, mm-hmm. At that time, you know, we're talking about the Saints being a perennial contender. Um, you know, they'd gone through the heartbreak against Minnesota in the playoffs couple of times, actually. But mm-hmm. the outlook for the team was we're going to get back and do it again. We're probably going to win the division. Definitely going to get a wild card, if not. And we're going to be a contender for the Super Bowl. Um, wh- what are they now? Because it, that was kind of the – that was kind of what I would say we felt or most people felt for many years in a row. Now all of a sudden, yeah, it just seems honestly, like 
two balls have yeah. dropped, right, yeah. with Breeze and then Peyton in consecutive years. What mm-hmm. is the state of the Saints? It feels, honestly, like a changing of the guard right now. Um, you know, you knew this 2021 season was going to be interesting without Drew, right? You know, because Drew had been here since the beginning of Sean's tenure. You know, Drew was here when Sean, you know, had his suspension. You know, Drew has been the constant, right? In addition to general manager Mickey Loomis. And now two of the, you know, three-headed dogs, so to speak, um, are not with the team anymore. Um, And it's, uh, I don't know how it's going to go. I think a lot of it hinges on who they hire as their head coach. Um, The believed front runner for that is the defensive coordinator, Dennis Allen. Um, But as per the Rooney rule suggests, you do have to interview other people, right? And uh, they need to be a diverse candidate two people that they have requested to interview uh, are Detroit uh, defense coordinator, Aaron Glenn, who spent plenty of time in new Orleans and Buccaneers offensive coordinator, Byron Lutwich, who knows new Orleans pretty well, considering he's, you know, squared up against them at least two times a year for the last three seasons. So we'll see if there are more, I would presume there would be at least a couple more candidates because Gail Benson did say the other day that they were going to be thorough with this. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it depends on who they hire as to how much change. Well, there let me, will let me be jump in, in on that city. thought because you, you, the name that interests me personally is left, Witch. now I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you a question in terms of just, you know, you're, you followed the game for a long time. You know the game. Mm-hmm. You know the team. What is your personal opinion? If you've got a great defense, if you were the owner of the team or the general manager, somebody responsible for the hiring, would you go for somebody that's defensive-minded and really make that unit stand out? Or would your philosophy be, hey, we've got a great defense already. Now let's bring in somebody that's offensive-minded so that he could get the most out of our offense so we could win some games. You know, with the offense the way it is right now, Leftwich, I would like that higher, especially if you want to retain Jameis Winston, because uh, Leftwich has worked with Jameis before, knows you know, Jameis, what Jameis can do well, all of those things. It's just, it Leftwich intrigues me a lot. Not to say that I don't think a Glenn or uh, Allen would be a good fit because they've worked within this franchise before. But Leftwich really intrigues me. It really does. And, and part of me also kind of feels like, well, Dennis Allen's had his shot. And that's not to say that guys don't succeed the second time around or they can't succeed if they've had one, you know, so-so experience in, in the league, you probably have learned a lot. And because of that, you carry that into your second opportunity. But, I mean, there's a part of me that kind of also feels if we're really serious about um, giving opportunities to different people, not making it kind of like the the good old boys buddy network type thing, you know, uh, you're going to have to give a chance to some of the candidates that are maybe younger, fresher, minorities, whatever. Um, That's just kind of my personal feeling. What's your thought on that? 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, if I was making the hire, again, that is a decision way above my pay grade. Um, I would do what at least Gail Benson has said publicly, be thorough, you know, conduct the best search you can. Um, I would interview, you can't request to interview him yet, but Eric Bieniemy. Um you have to you have to look at the best options and Leftwich and the enemy uh, are two that should have had their chances already. And it's, it's embarrassing that they haven't. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of people that have, uh, you know, talked about, you know, well, the, the Rooney rule is, isn't working or, or that type of thing. And my personal feeling on it is even if it doesn't lead to a higher I still like the rule because it gives guys interview experience. So maybe they don't yeah. get it this time around, but maybe the next time around they're able to get the job because they know what they did right. They know what they did wrong. They can improve on it. So just even getting mm-hmm. that experience is a, is a good thing. I'm all for getting the best candidate. I don't care about skin color. I'm kind of a, a, a color blind. I try to be as color blind as possible um, because that's just me my feeling personally, but at the same time, throughout the league. Now, with that said, I do think it's probably an appealing opportunity. You know, Jameis Winston, I believe, is a very good NFL quarterback. They got Michael Thomas, if he's on the field. They got Alvin Kamara. I mean, they have some serious weapons. They do. They really do. And... Yeah, the salary cap is what it is, but they they can clear up a hundred million without cutting anybody. They always have so, a, they're always up against it in the salary cap and find a way to to magically get it down, right? Or to make it work. Oh, of course, of course. It's not magic; it's just math. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so Sean Payton, were you surprised? I know there's a few you know, things that I led was. up to this, you know, but like overall, were you just like, why? Yeah, I was. Um, you know, it. I'm like, okay, maybe he's doing TV or okay, like. But for him not to have anything lined up is a little interesting. Not to say that that's a bad decision. I actually think it's a great thing for him to just relax, travel, hang out with his family, just decompress. The last year was really tough for everybody, honestly, and. You know, good for Sean to to recognize that he needs a break. Um, so many people just push through, and you know, who's to say that you know next year if he stayed and was feeling this way that it would be detrimental to either his mental health or the team? Like we don't, no one needs that. Um, but yeah, it did surprise me. But listening to him talk for ninety minutes, which is a long but also a short time for Sean, if you know him. Um, yeah. It made sense. It made sense. And I'm interested to see what he does moving forward, if he comes back to coaching at some point, or if he goes the TV route, or if he does both. Um, well, do, yeah, you follow, it, do you follow baseball at all? A little. Okay, so the thought that creeped into my mind is – a few years ago, the Red Sox fired their World Series winning 
manager, Cora, <laughs> Alex Cora, uh, because of the whole Astros cheating scandal and everything for since he had been involved with from yesteryear, not with the Red Sox. And then <laughs> the Red Sox hired somebody and it didn't work out well. And then they hired Cora again and he's there right now and it's mm-hmm. working out terrifically. Do you think that the, that's a possibility that it's kind of like, a, well, hey, if we hire somebody and he crushes it, great. If not, we may go after Sean again. Do you think that's even a thought? It has to be one of the numerous options that they have on their table because Sean is under contract for a while, right? He has like, I think it's three. I think it's three. Um, more years left on his contract. So if he wants to coach elsewhere, let's say Dallas in 2023, the Saints would still have to work out a deal with Dallas for him. It's not like, oh, he retires and he can just coach for anyone he wants in two years. That's, that's not how it works. He still has some time left on his, on his deal. So, this is definitely going to be a story that won't go away. You might forget about it. it might be on the back burner. It might be on the warmer. Uh, but it's not over. <laughs> definitely not over, especially if he wants to get back into coaching. Okay, so you're working on a piece right now. Is it out yet? No, it is not. But can, we can I talk mention about it? it or no? Oh, yeah, we can. Okay. So you're working on a piece right now. Very, very interesting uh, probably to – any and all Saints fans, because you're going to go around and presumably, I don't know, outside the Saints, but at least within the Saints, talk to various people, get some stories, get some insight, get their feelings about the departure of their longtime head coach. Any stories mm-hmm. kind of jump out that uh, we can look forward to reading uh, when when the story yeah. comes out? There are just, there are so many Everyone just talks about his storytelling and how sometimes his stories have literally nothing to do with, like, the moment that brought it on. There's no teaching moment. It's just a story he wants to tell Um, or stories about how he keeps it very real. Um, And uh, that that is who he is. Um, there's stories about him just being a goofball. Um, and not a lot of these stories have seen the light of day before. And so I'm really excited. I've talked to so many different people. Um, and I'm really looking forward to this one. Most writers, uh, a lot of them dread, uh, (laughs) big projects um, and dread the transcribing. And I do, I hate transcribing interviews, Um, but I've had a lot of fun with this and I'm really excited. Not sure when it's going to publish. I still have a ton more people to talk to. Um, But yeah, everybody talks about how Sean is a storyteller and I kind of stories. Is this like when I was a kid, you know, uh, or when I was with this team or when I played or well, like I'm guessing they're all across the board, right? All of the above. All of the above. Um, I haven't written it yet. I'm still working through all of it. I've got a lot of really good stuff. Um, I'm worried about what gets left on the cutting room floor. But um, I've got three hours of interviews already, 
and I still have plenty more to go. So it'll be, I'm excited for it. There's just so yeah, much. Cause he's like had be so tough, many players. Play. Yeah. It seems like it would be tough to, how does it all fit it from an article perspective? How do you piece it all together? Which ones should go first and, and, and that type of thing. It's, it's definitely not an easy project that you're you're putting together here. No, but I'm excited because this is the world knows one form of Sean Payton, but the players who played for him, whether that was for a week or for 15 years, know a different side of him, and that's that's exciting to be able to share some of those stories. Okay, so when the article comes out. Where can our listeners read up on it? Yeah, so uh, NOLA.com will have it, um, and then I'll tweet it out as well. Probably, like, too much because I'm, like, really excited about it. Um, (laughs) My Twitter handle is at Amy underscore just, but I spell my name a little weird. That's Amy, A-M-I-E underscore J-U-S-T, like the word. Very cool. And uh, before we let you go, any anything you want to plug besides your article? Anything else that you're working on? You said you're going to go to the Senior Bowl. Is there going to be a write-up on that? Um, obviously, the Combine, you're going to pop in there as well, get all the rumors and everything. But anything you, else you want to plug? Um, honestly, just the work that the Times-Picayune, um, the paper that I work for, has done this past week is pretty incredible. Um, this wasn't like when Drew retired and we could plan for it, right? You know, this kind of came out of left field. So the work that we've done, the columns that Jeff Duncan and uh, Rod Walker have put together, my you know beat partner, Luke Johnson, uh, our LSU basketball writer used to cover the Saints. So he's chipped in. We've just had a lot of really awesome stuff. Um, so if you are wanting to read all things Sean Payton, we have so much for you and so much still left to come at nola.com yeah i'm glad you reminded me luke johnson we've had on the show before as well so you're you've got a a great team that you're working with you're covering a a fun team to cover sounds like this is going to be a very interesting article i urge everybody if you're a saints fan or just an nfl fan in general to check it out amy been a pleasure having you on it's been long overdue thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us this afternoon awesome thank you so much That is Amy Just, nolanews.com, ESPN Radio NOLA. Check out the article. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, like she said, it's going to give you guys some insight into Coach Sean Payton in a manner that differs from the weekly press conference and, uh, you know, all of the different sound bites that you hear from him. This will have a different nature to it. It's going to give you more of a who he is as a person who he is as a dynamic head coach. And look, you got to be a dynamic head coach that really connects with players to last that long. So good stuff there from Amy. We're going to take a quick commercial timeout. We'll be back and we're going to talk some NFC and AFC championship games right after this.
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at themikeabadirshow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Thanks again to Amy Just. That was a really fun first part of the radio show, talking with her about all things saints. You know, when... uh, when you're a repeat guest in late January, it probably means that either there's something newsworthy going on with the team that you cover or that the team you cover is really, really good and has a chance to go into the Super Bowl. And there's probably been no team that has been more involved in these type of situations with the conference championship game in recent memory than the Kansas City Chiefs. So we're going to talk a little Kansas City Chiefs football with Matt Derrick from the Chiefs Digest He's also on WHB 810, locally there in Kansas City, covers the Kansas City Chiefs. Matt, what is going on, man? How are you? I am doing well, Mike. It's good to catch up with you again and during a crazy week. Absolutely. Thank you for um, spending a few moments with us during this crazy week. So let's get right to it. The It's not necessarily that often that you face a team just a few weeks ago and then face them again in a conference championship game. Ironically, we're going to get that times two because, in fact, the Rams and the 49ers, this will be their third meeting against one another, and they played, uh, I believe, in the final week of the season. Cincinnati and Kansas City played in the second of the final game of the season. That was in Cincinnati. It was a pretty close contest. At least the final score was, I should say, 34-31. But what, what do you... What do you recall from that game being the, I guess, the weak spot for the Chiefs? And the reason I put it like that is this. Taking the listeners down the memory lane a little bit, the Chiefs started off 3-4. and four, And then they closed the year on a 9-1 and one run. And that one was Cincinnati. And they kind of exploited the defense in a manner that we saw earlier in the year, Matt, when they were 3-4. and four. So what are your thoughts about that game? Yeah, that was certainly the outlier in the, the, that stretch where the Chiefs, you know, since week five, had the best scoring defense in the league. And, and this was the one game that really stood out as the one where they kind of collapsed. And, 
And looking at, you know, maybe a little bit about what Tennessee did last week and slowing down this Bengals offense, you can kind of see where maybe the, the Chiefs just went in with the wrong game plan. Um, Steve Spagnuolo and the defensive coordinator, he went in trying to get some pressure on, on Joe Burrow. Um, they wanted to, to bring some blitzes, maybe show him some looks that he hadn't seen before. And you know what? The problem is, is that he's got a guy like Jamar Chase that he's got so much experience with that he just knows that he can kind of just throw the jump ball to Jamar whenever he gets into trouble and he's going to be fine. And, um, and that's kind of what the Bengals did. I mean, they, they put the ball in the air as quick as they could, um, and they, the Chiefs were putting you know Jamar Chase in some one-on-one matchups and just trying to get the Burrow that way, and it did not work. Um, third and 27, they brought seven guys on a blitz and, and leave Jamar Chase in a one-on-one with Javaris Ward. And... and you know, Jamar Chase gets the first down on third and 27. Uh, I think you've seen that's not how you go about going after the Bengals. I mean, you got to go after them a little bit differently. You can get pressure on that quarterback. But I think the Chiefs took a, an aggressive game plan against the Bengals the last time. It was probably the wrong choice. And it certainly did not work out because they could not stop the Bengals that day. Yeah, and, and they... I guess you could also say they couldn't stop the Buffalo Bills last weekend, but I view that as a very, very different type of offense because it is a different type of offense. You know, uh, in my mind, the Bengals are actually a more of a well-rounded offense than the Buffalo Bills because they have a, a good running game. They've got a great passing attack, not just Burrow, not just Chase, but Higgins and Boyd and, you know, they, they got a, a more than serviceable tight end in the passing game. Mixing out of the backfield can catch. He can run the ball. It's a different game plan when it comes to an offense like this than it is to the Josh Allen show, isn't it? Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, and you kind of even just hit on it right there and and talking about how the Chiefs maybe fell down a little bit against the Bengals. Um, against the, you know against the Bills, what they were really trying to do was to make sure that Josh Allen couldn't beat them with his legs. Um, they didn't get a ton of pressure on him, but that wasn't entirely the plan. I mean, they just wanted to make sure that Josh Allen couldn't escape on the edges, that he couldn't get outside and extend plays. They wanted to make sure that he couldn't take off up the middle. Um, and they did a pretty good job as forces of containing him. I mean, their idea was to force Josh Allen to stay in the pocket and beat them that way. And to his credit, I mean, Josh Allen performed. I mean, uh, their belief was that, hey, if they, they kept him in the pocket, that eventually they could force Josh Allen into the mistakes. He played a nearly perfect ball game. The only biggest problem was that Patrick Mahomes played a, a perfect ball game too. Um, that was a heck of a contest, but I, I think it, it, at least it gives you a little bit of after the Chiefs' defense, a little bit of a pat on the back that the you know Buffalo Bills were coming off a stretch where they hadn't punted the ball in five straight quarters. They've had a perfect game against the Patriots where it was either touchdowns or kneel downs. And, and the Chiefs at least slowed them down. I mean, Buffalo still got their points, but um, they were able to make life a little bit difficult for them at times. And if it turns into a shootout, I mean, that's what the Chiefs feel like they can win. They feel like they can outscore anybody, um, but they need their defense to come up with a few plays. Uh, that's going to be the question, especially as you mentioned. I mean, Cincinnati's got plenty of weapons, and they can't make the mistakes that they made the last time around. What's the approach going to be to the running game? Because – the stat line, in my opinion, is a little bit misleading because when you look at the stat line from last weekend's game, it looks really impressive. 27 carries for 182 yards. But really, uh, there were three nice runs that were you know, ripped off 
uh, 34 for Mahomes, 22 for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Hardman had a 25-yard run. And besides that, it was a lot of, you know, Jarek McKinnon averaging 2.4 carries. He had uh, per carry. He had the most carries in the game. It didn't seem that effective. So my question to you is this. And there were times in, in some of those final minutes when they were, you know, mounting their comebacks where I was like, why even bother running the ball? <laughs> Just air it out because they ain't stopping you. Do you think that that's kind of, I guess, why their passing game is successful? Because they're setting it up to keep the defense off balance with the running game. And if they pop a nice run, great. But we're going to stick with it because we want to make sure that we have some kind of balance in our offense, even if it's not as effective as we want it to be? Or is that a stubborn mentality that uh, Andy Reid can kind of have sometimes? You know, if anything, I think that Andy probably gets criticized in Kansas City for sometimes getting away from the run, you know, too early or too often. And, and that certainly wasn't the case last week. I mean, like you said, I mean, you know, with the running backs, they put the grab ball on the ground 17 times. Uh, even though outside of, uh, you know, a few runs by Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, they, they weren't really terribly productive. Um, but I, I do. I mean, I think that to a degree that they do have to keep at least that threat of the ground game um, showing just to be able to do the other things that they want to do in the passing game. I mean, um, if you're just going to, you know, and the Chiefs have shown that if you do just put everything in to trying to stop the pass, that they'll run the football on you. Um, it doesn't happen very often, but there have been times in the past where teams have just set out flat out said, we're going to go light boxes. We're going to, we're going to double team Hill and Kelsey as, as much as we can and fortune to run the football, and, and the Chiefs, when presented that, they can do it. Um, a little bit more difficult for them when, when teams play them a little bit more balanced, but the, the Chiefs absolutely want to be able to run the football a bit, and, and part of it is, you know, hey, you go back to that 2018 season, um, which was, of course, you know, the last time Chiefs didn't go to a Super Bowl, but that was the start of their AFC title you know, game run. Um, that was a team that you know really didn't have a slow gear. If they were just run up and down the field at all times, and you know, and that put a lot of pressure and stress on their defense. And that's what Andy Reid doesn't want to get into. Is that he doesn't want to get into a, a game where he's going to be putting his you know defense on the field for forty minutes a game. Um, he wants to make sure that the offense you know, goes at a more deliberate speed. And you know what? It, it's, it has worked because even though the, the run game hasn't always been there, uh, this team has led the league in, you know, time of possession per drive, yards per drive, points per drive. And some of that is just simply because of their commitment to try and, and, and go a little bit more deliberately, which is really designed to be complementary to their defense and just not put as much stress on the other side of the football. Now, last week they did a, Phenomenal job shutting down their two offensive, their two best offensive playmakers, in my opinion. Stephon Diggs, he had seven yards receiving. Dawson Knox, nine yards receiving. But that was at the expense of letting a, uh, a guy who, you know, had a little bit over 500 yards on the entire season bust out for a 200 yard, four touchdown receiving game. With the Chiefs having, or excuse me, with the Bengals having as many weapons as they do that are probably more skilled than the weapons that Buffalo has, how do they go about slowing that down? And I guess the, the part A of the question really is 
How was the health of the secondary? Because we saw a key figure go down. Uh, and and how do, they, how do they kind of not key in on one guy so much that it's at the expense of letting another guy break out? Yeah, there, there's there's absolutely no doubt that the, the Chiefs absolutely missed like crazy um, Tyron Matthew. Uh, him going down, you know, six, seven snaps into the game uh, with a concussion, it really you know took away a lot of the things that they like to be able to do defensively. Obviously, they move him around a lot. Um, he's the one chess piece that, you know, a defense has to account for because you never know where he's going to line up. Um, but they can do a lot of things with him. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, one of the things that he can do at any point is cover guys. And he absolutely would have been a, a big help against Gabriel Davis. What, what the Chiefs have been doing of late, and it will be interesting to see if they, they do this with the Bengals, is they've been matching up Traveris Ward with you know the top guy on the other team. This is not something that, that Spagnuolo and the Chiefs have done in the past as far as having one of their corners travel. Um, but with Legereus Sneed being the guy that's going to move into the slot whenever they're in the nickel package, they've been having Ward you know, go along with whoever is the big threat on the other side. And normally that would then mean that Rashad Fenton would be out there defending you know, whoever is the second or the third threat. Um, but he's been out with a back injury the last couple of weeks. You know, last week Mike Hughes was the the guy assigned task for for having you know, for being on Gabriel Davis and had a rough night. Um, but Rashad Fitton has been an underrated piece of that that secondary. He's been back on the practice field this week. Looks like he's ready to go. If he's able to play, that definitely lets the that that secondary play the way they want to, which is put Ward on the top threat, needs in the slot. And Fitton then can cover, you know, probably in this case, going to be working on T. Higgins a lot. Um, that's the way that the Chiefs want to attack. And you saw what happens when they don't have Matthew and Fenton. Nights like that, that that Davis had can absolutely take place. Yeah. You know, uh, 538, which mainly is an analytics type of site, um, they, they charted it out when the Chiefs have six defensive backs um, – you know, when they play like in a dime defense and they compared it to the defensive expected points added per snap on a weekly basis for the Chiefs. But you can't I mean, you can't play with six DBs throughout the game, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's certainly they're the heart of their third down defense. That's what they're, they're pretty much going to do anytime that they're in a third down package. Uh, it was curious that they did go to that a little bit uh, more often against Buffalo last week than you would normally see them do it. Um, and, you know, it, it honestly, Spagnuolo goes to it sometimes that I, I do think it's probably worth second-guessing. I mean, at the, they went to that at the end of the first half when they, they felt like the, the Bills were going to be in kind of an all-throw mode. And what did the Bills do? They put the ball in the hands of Josh Allen on the ground, and, and, and he just took off. And, and they weren't really accounting for that. And it allowed the Bills to kind of get down into a position where they could take a shot at the end zone and they end up scoring. Uh, that, I don't think there's any doubt that the, the Chiefs' defense is its toughest and its most aggressive. Um, when it's got some of those extra linebackers on the field, Willie Gay has got a lot of speed. Nick Bolton has been tremendous as a rookie. I mean, he's their biggest tackle for a loss guy. Um, he can really bust up some plays, and he's very strong against the run. Um, when they take those guys off and they go to extra defensive backs, they do get a little faster, but they're also very light, and, and that does make them vulnerable sometimes to 
One's the big plays, but two, if you, if you want to run the football against that package, you could absolutely get some things done. It'll be interesting to see how they utilize Sorensen this weekend. I know that Fenton had some really good grades from pro football focus in that game against uh, Cincinnati, even though the team overall got lit up. So, prediction time, my friend. Who do you got? Yeah, it, Who wins and it, why? It's hard. It's hard for me to bet against this Chiefs team the way that they've been playing, and, and part of it comes down to that I just don't know how many, how many tricks that the, the Bengals have that they didn't show the last time around. Uh, I, I think that Andy Reid's going to have a few more things for them, a few more wrinkles that the Bills maybe not be ready for. Um, but the Chiefs have seen what the Bengals have. They, they've seen what Burrow can do. They've seen what those receivers can do. Nothing's going to surprise Kansas City. I think the Chiefs have some surprises up their sleeve. Throw in home for court field advantage, and you throw in Patrick Mahomes and the way that he's playing right now, I think the Chiefs get it done. Um, don't think it's going to be a blowout or anything. I'm going with uh, 37-31 Chiefs and a, and a squeaker. Wow. You know, uh, I referenced 538 a few moments ago. Their ELO ratings had – the toughest assignment for the Chiefs would have been the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because they're the strengths of the Bucs uh, attack the weaknesses of the Chiefs. Now that they've been eliminated and they did they redid all the analytics on the upcoming matchups and everything, they actually have the Chiefs being a heavy favorite for the Super Bowl and a 10-point ELO differential in this week's game. A little bit high. Yeah, but that's what the analytics I, I, says. Yeah, I've I've certainly been surprised. And I've been surprised that even some of the betting line looks like it's even going you know more towards the Chiefs at seven seven and a half points now. But uh, I I think the Chiefs are going to win this game. But I I don't know if it's going to be the blowout that or at least the double digit maybe point victory that that some people think it might be. Now on the other side, really quickly here before we let you go, uh, if you heard any of uh, Sean Payton's presser. Somebody asked him about the uh, remaining teams that are left. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure if it was an overall tone or if he flat out said it, but it looks like the indications were that he felt that the Niners kind of had the sneaky upside uh, that they are this year's version of last year's Tampa in terms of, run, or, you know, rolling through the playoffs. What do you think about the, uh, the Chiefs' opponent in the Super Bowl? Yeah, you know, I mean, there would be great matchups one way or the other. I mean, obviously the 49ers would be a rematch of Super Bowl 54. And remember, 49ers had that game won for about 52 minutes. I mean, they certainly outplayed the Chiefs the majority of that game until Mahomes kind of put it together at the end. Um, that that 49ers defense is for real. It's, 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 it's tough. I would be really interested in seeing that matchup again. And remember, it's the personnel is a little bit different, certainly on the Rams side. But those were two teams that played that fifty-four, fifty-one shootout back in twenty eighteen. I wouldn't mind seeing Monday that night game football. again either. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, hey, Monday we saw a fifty-four, fifty-one Super Bowl. I'd, I'd sign up for that. Heck yeah, absolutely. So, so uh, who wins the NFC Conference Championship? I, I, I just I don't know how the 49ers have been doing it offensively. I mean, as good as Debo Samuel has really been for that offense, I mean, it, it just seems like they need to count on one or two plays going their way. The, the Rams seem like the more complete team to me, so I'm thinking it's going to be a Chiefs-Rams Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, and you know, like, look, if you're, if you're looking at, like, the, the, the football gods perspective of things, 
it isn't fair if Jimmy G goes to two Super Bowls when Dan Marino and a slew of other really, really good quarterbacks have only been to one. Don't you think, Jimmy G? Yeah, and, and especially, you know, looking at the other side, I mean, Matt Stafford had to go through some really rough years for so long in Detroit, and, and now we've got a chance to get there. So I, I think you'd like to see him be able to get at least get at least a Super Bowl appearance under his belt. I think he's deserved it. Totally agree with you. Matt, where can our listeners check out your work? Uh, you can go to ChiefsDigest.com, and you can follow me, Matt Derrick, on Twitter, and you can find Chiefs Digest on Facebook, the best places to find me. And Derek has two R's in the middle, folks. Matt Derek. I'll be t- retweeting it out. He's tweeted it out. Follow me. Follow him. Get all things Kansas City Chiefs. I do know that we've got several ch- hardcore Chiefs fans that listen to the show. So thank you so much, Matt. In a busy week, you made a lot of time for us, and I appreciate it. And I hope that we can uh, recircle up before the Super Bowl for your charity of choice, which I don't remember the name of it, but it was an animal shelter, I believe. It was. It was the KC Pet Project. There you go. So we'll try to do something fun with that again and get some awareness and and help the uh, pets over there in the Kansas City area. Matt, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Always a blast, Mike. I appreciate it. Take care, my friend. You too, buddy. That's Matt Derrick, ChiefsDigest.com. Check him out. Check out the site, especially if you're a Chiefs fan. Stay with us. We're going to come back, wrap up the show after a quick commercial timeout. Stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune into All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Mondays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety channel find out what's happening on the voice america talk radio network by keeping up with us on twitter you can find us at voice america trn streaming live the leader in internet talk radio VoiceAmerica.com. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mike at the Show.com. Now, back to this week's program. Final segment here on the Mike Abadir Show. Thanks again to Matt Derrick. Boy, does he know his uh, Kansas City Chiefs, doesn't he? He... Uh, Really, 
does his homework. And if you go to ChiefsDigest.com, you'll see what I'm talking about. Exceptional work that is done by him. Some not-so-exceptional work right now as we are broadcasting live here on Thursday afternoon, evening, depending on where you're at. Team USA is playing a FIFA World Cup qualifying match. It's a CONCACAF match against El Salvador. And 0-0. 0-0. So we'll keep an eye out out on that. See if uh, the U.S. can put a goal in during our airtime here. But that would be very disappointing if they tie or lose this game. So we're cheering on Team USA, hoping that they can uh, do what they're supposed to do, which is win against an inferior ball club. So who's been following the Australian Open? I know tennis isn't necessarily a, uh, you know, a premier sport here in America, let's just say. And in fact, much of the attention was actually on something off-court related, which was uh, Djokovic. But we've got an American in the finals on the women's side, Danielle Collins, the 27th seed knocked out the seven seed in the tournament, a heavy favorite, I guess Swadiak, 6-4-6-1, straight sets. Now, we almost had an all-American finals, which would have been really, really cool, because on the other side, Madison Keys went up against Australian Ashley Barty, and she is the one seed, and she played like a one seed, and she... Uh, really handed it to Madison Keys. So now we get an Aussie, a home court inv- advantage, of course, against Danielle Collins. Should be a really fun finals. I always love when you have like a big underdog in tennis going up against, you know, one of the, the bigger names in the sport and a heavy favorite. And by all accounts, <clears throat> without Serena being super involved nowadays, Barty is probably the best. Uh, on on the the female side of the equation. So that should be a pretty cool matchup for any of you tennis fans out there. The other thing that was kind of newsworthy to me was if you watched either of the quarterfinals matchups, the one in particular that was interesting to me was Medvedev's match against Felix Auger-Alassim. And Medvedev won that matchup. He won in five sets. It was a great, great comeback. If you didn't see that match and they have a replay on late at night or something, check it out. I mean, this dude was down two sets, was at the brink in the third set, looks like he was going to lose in straight sets. Somehow, some way, he digs deep. He takes this thing into, you know, tennis's version of an overtime and pulls out the third set, seven to six. Again, in the fourth set, highly contested, went all the way to the wire, and he pulls that one out, seven, five. Now we're tied two, two. And then he took the third set, a little bit more comfortably, 6-4. 
to win that matchup. And uh, I think his prize now is going to be to face, well, the winner of Nadal and Matteo Berrettini. But before we move on from Medvedev, it was really interesting to me because I don't know if you guys saw this or not. So after the match, they asked him on the on-court interview on ESPN right after the matches. They always bring the uh, winner out after he blows some kisses and throws some tennis balls and hits some tennis balls into the crowd. And they asked him, what did you do? What kind of inspiration did you draw upon to make this epic comeback? And he said, I channeled my inner Novak Djokovic. The parade of booze that he got for mentioning Djokovic. Not only was it ridiculous, in my mind, it was petty, trivial, and unacceptable. Really, because a guy is... And look, I get it. Australia Australia kicked him out. But you got to look at why they kicked him out. He didn't want to put a medication into his body. So now we're at the point, and I hate that this is a recurring subject matter, but we're at the point now where if somebody doesn't want to do something and you don't even know the reason, it may be medical. We don't know. It's a private matter. So imagine you not taking a medication that the government and everybody else wants you to take. And you become an enemy, enemy of the state. Certainly of Australia. And the public is behind that. I don't know. That to me, that's not a that's not a place where humanity wants to be. Trust me on that one, folks. And I don't want to make this overly political or controversial or anything like that, but let's face it. Maybe today it's today it's a, it's an injection that you support. But what happens tomorrow when it's an injection that you don't support? And that's the slippery slope that we have over here when we're talking about this kind of stuff. So the guy on an epic high, greatest comeback of his career, he's now a game or a match away from being in the Australian Open, a major uh, finals, and the guy gets booed. (laughs) And I mean, it was an unforgiving booing session of Medvedev. So thought that was kind of... um, Interesting enough to point it out, like I always say, we like to talk about some things here that you might not be hearing elsewhere. Kind of give us a unique angle to the show. How about some of the NFL hires? Looks like the Bears hire uh, the Colts' Eberflus. Or is it pronounced Eberflus? I think it's Eberflus. Anyways, it's a it's a the Colts defensive coordinator, Matt Eberflus, and he is now the Bears head coach. What do you guys think of that? Think that's a good move? And he's a 51 year old, uh, defensive minded. Like I said, he was the DC for Indianapolis. They were also looking. Uh, well, the Jacksonville Jacksonville Jaguars were also looking at him as well. 
And I think that may be one of the reasons that they decided not to wait and just to pull the trigger on him because they didn't want to lose out to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, he's going to be the first hire for the new general manager there in Chicago, Ryan Poles. So these guys are taking over a Bears team that went 6-11 and last year under Matt Nagy. It's a team that's missed the playoffs in nine of the last 11 seasons. Um, they had also interviewed Jim Caldwell and Dan Quinn, who both have coaching experiences, of course, with the Lions and the Falcons, respectively. Head coaching experience, I should say. Um, my question is, was the Colts' defense really that good? I mean, I, I know that the stats show that in his first season in Indianapolis, the Colts improved from the 30th-ranked defense to the 10th-ranked defense, scoring defense, uh, from 30th to 11th in total defense, and from 26th to 8th in rush defense. Okay, I get that. But let's face it. You went up against the Jag- Jacksonville Jaguars twice. You went up against the Houston, I was going to call them the Astros, uh, the Houston Texans twice. The Astros probably actually have a better offense than the Houston Texans, although they kind of woke up a little bit late. But nonetheless, they were in a very easy division. And um, yeah, I don't know. I think those are maybe uh, smoke and mirrors in terms of some of the defensive numbers and production. Keep in mind, there's, there's a lot, there's not a lot that separates teams from one another when you look at the rankings. You know, you may see a team, for example, that's averaging, uh, giving up 242 yards in the air and another team, uh, 222 yards in the air. And that could be the separator of 10, 11, 12 teams in between them in terms of overall pass defense. It's talking about like 20 yards a game or something. Um, And so when you go up against two mediocre teams like Jacksonville and the Texans, that's four games out of your schedule. It's 25% of your schedule. That's going to make your numbers look a little bit better. So I don't know. I'm not buying that the Colts had this like really, really, really ridiculous defense or something where this guy is like a must-pursue type head coach. I'm not buying it. Sorry, Bears fans. I think you guys are going to be stuck in mediocrity for another four or five years. I'm not sure you found your quarterback. Your best skilled wide receiver took a huge step back. Couldn't get any rhythm with either of the two QBs there. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And obviously, your your running back was banged up last year. A lot of times when that happens, it continues to happen. Broncos, they hired Nathaniel Hackett. So Hackett is the um, Packers offensive coordinator, was the Packers offensive coordinator. Now he's the Denver Broncos head coach. Now he's viewed as uh, dynamic and intelligent, maybe more of a McVay type, but kind of came off of his most dreadful worst game of the season in that matchup. So that's all the time we have, folks. Thank you for listening. We'll see you same time, same place next weekend. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. 
Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week.